The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we do say thank you for the work that you have done in Christ that allows us to say the things that we just said in song. You are Lord to us. You are Savior to us. You are your Father to us. You have become our Father. We had no right to that, but you adopted us into your family, made us your people. And so then we dare to ask, will you fix our eyes on you? Will you give us help that you would be our vision? Help us to think on you and to, to look on you and to, to focus on you and to walk after you, recognizing that you are the high king, you are the ruler over all. The subject that we're going to consider today, Lord, sometimes gets confusing for us and we, we forget that you are ruler and, and we are drawn into contention and into tension and into fear and into conflict Remind us, you reign. You reign for your purposes. You reign for good. You reign as our shepherd. You reign as our, as our lover. The one who loves us deeply and cares for us. Remind us of that and make your word clear to us this morning. Teach us, shape us, draw honor to your son, build your church what I ask you to do this morning. We ask you to do this in Christ's name. Amen. When I was young, several members of my family and I at different times found ourselves under the care of our locally famous plastic surgeon. He was very good at fixing wounds while also minimizing scars and facilitating overall healing. He could, put stuff, he could put stuff back together really well. And he had quite the reputation then for both his professional skill and, no other way to put it, for his arrogant rudeness. Everyone who had ever been a patient of his had a story, me included, about being insulted or ignored or treated harshly or overlooked while being cared for, ironically, at the same time. But everybody put up with it, and everybody went back to him again and again because he was really good. You can hardly see the scar right here. He put it back together, just in it, and so we, we kept going back, kept going back, kept going back, because really, he was talented, and that's all that mattered. And sometimes in life, that is all that matters, or what matters most. Skill, the ability to deliver on a narrowly defined desired outcome. Is he or is he not able to stitch up the gash and make the scar go away? Yes or no? Is she or is she not able to win the argument in the legal case? Yes or no? Sometimes the skill or the ability is is all that you need to be useful to others and to find a place in, say, the economy, find a job, or, or to earn a spot on the team. Can you or can you not? Yes or no? 
And if you can, you're useful. Often that's the case. But, of course, that's not always the case, even in general things in the world. And it certainly isn't the case when we come to talking about what makes a gospel minister useful. Useful both to God and useful to other people. And that's what brings us to our passage today at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Last week, in verses 14 to 19, the focus was more on skills. What do you do? What do you not do? And how, what's the process by which you do it? What, what's, the, what's the things that you perform on? And the gospel ministers we saw there are to major on gospel truths, are to emphasize and speak about gospel truths, and to not argue about small things or disputable things. And gospel ministers are to work hard at rightly handling the scriptures, diving into them, taking them apart, understanding them, and then expressing them. That was last week. And then, as, as we saw there, that, that question of, of skill is, is it critical. It's what leaves a person approved before God. That's true. Skill is important. Then we come to this week's passage and see that's actually not his only concern. He's also concerned with who we are and how we are as we exercise those skills. So we're going to look at today what a faithful gospel minister is to be in character, who we are. We're going to look at that in verses 20 to 26. I'm going to read it and then draw out three observations. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning verse 20. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. 2 Timothy 2. I make three observations. Here's the first. Ministers that God uses are those who carefully resist being polluted by sin. Ministers that God uses are those who carefully resist being polluted by sin. I get this from verses 20 and 21, which are pretty closely connected to last week's passage. Several times through there, and also through the book of 1 Timothy, we saw that the, the, the main issue, the main problem that Timothy's facing there in Ephesus is the presence in the church, in the community of the church, of people who are teaching false doctrine. 
they're, they're teaching falsehood in some way. He named two of them last week, but clearly he said they're, they're just among others. There were a number of folks there in and around the community of the church teaching ungodly things that were evil and sinful and wrong, that were a departure from the truth. And as is always the case with false teaching, it was leading people away further and further into ungodliness. So it was destroying their lives. They were hearing falsehood, being polluted by it, and being led astray by it. That's the situation in the church. And then along comes verse 20, where Paul says, essentially, to some degree or another, that's to be expected. That situation is to be expected. A bit like what Jesus taught in the parable of the weeds and the wheat, different context, he's making a different point, but he, along the way, affirms the same idea that you know, in a wheat field, there are always going to be weeds. Always. There just are. And so here, verse 20, in a great house or in a grand house, you will find, there just will be, you will find all sorts of tools or vessels made of all sorts of different material. Wood and clay roughly made for garbage work. Chamber pots. Shovels for mucking out the stalls. Dishonorable stuff. Not, not because those those jobs or professions are dishonorable. He's making an analogy here. It deals with the waste of life in every sense. And also in a great house, you'll find implements made of gold and silver, fine work and dainty things for drinking wine at the table and silverware for cutting up the roast at the dinner. Honorable, beautiful, good work. Both. In a grand house, you'll find both. So the illustration's clear enough, that, that, that's obvious. And then what he says, what he means is, that's the church. The community of the church. And there are always in and around churches, dishonorable vessels doing dishonorable work. He named two of them in verse 17. But they're present teaching and doing and spreading dishonorable things, doing sinful garbage work. It circles around. You, you hear it. It's, it's present. Sometimes coming out of people, sometimes coming in from outside, sometimes just infiltrating us through, through media. It's present. Always. And any minister who wants to be useful to God must resist it personally. not just resist it for the sake of the church, for the sake of self. Ministers are not immune to this danger. So verse 21, therefore, he says, such evil teachers and sinful teaching is present, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself or herself from what's dishonorable, then and only then will he or she be a vessel for honorable use. Then and only then will, be, will he be a faithful and good guide, made of gold or silver, so to speak, an instrument in God's hands, useful to the master of the house, it says. So notice what he's saying. Last week, what was emphasized? A minister, whether what I called there a, a capital M minister, somebody who like in office or in gifting is a, a leader of the church and a teacher in the church in some way, or what we might call lowercase m ministers, which is everybody else. 
All of us in some way or another, if you're a Christian, you're a minister. It's supposed to be a, a servant taking the word of God and serving it, ministering it to other people. And all of us, in some way or another, last week, we had this skill component pushed on us and, and shown to us and, and offered up to us and, and emphasized correct information, understood accurately, delivered clearly. That's what God approves of. Are you doing that, yes or no? And then now this week, we find right after that that skill is not the main question. Character is. What would make you an honorable tool in God's hand? What would make you, as it says, ready for every good work? It's the end of verse 21. Ready for every kind of work. Ministry of service, ministry of word, helping people out. Whatever kind of thing you can think of. Any kind of work in the church, any kind of ministry through the church, outside the church, every good work. What's required? What would make you useful for that? What's the key? It's obvious. Think about it. Is it actually the case that, that God would say, I'm actually more concerned in who, who you are, than what you know. I'm actually more concerned about, about your heart than about your head. About your character. More concerned about that than I am about your, your skills, your abilities, your, your teaching insights. This is a hard one for us to get, to get our minds around. Do you know that's true? Yeah, it, it's right there. But this is what would make you useful to the master, ready for every good work. The key is not skill. It's not do you studiously dig into the scriptures. Do you really accurately and thoroughly understand all kinds of theology? It's have you cleansed yourself from that which is dishonorable? Yes or no? Notice that he's talking to Christians when he says that. It's an important point. Paul's talking to Timothy. He's a Christian and a pastor, and he expects he's going to pass that on to, as we've seen, other men who are also faithful men who will be qualified to teach others. He's going to pass this on to the church. So this is teaching that he's delivering to Christians, and therefore he is not at all talking about how to become a Christian in the first place. Very important point here. Christ and Christ alone is the one who cleanses us in that sense. He takes our sin off of us completely. Christ and Christ alone. He gives us pure standing before God. So if you're a Christian, your position, your, your position before God is holy. Set apart from the world. Cleansed of sin. Pure, spotless, righteous in standing. That, that's your position, and that's settled, that's done. 
because of what Christ did and only because of what Christ did. That's settled and done. And then now then, after that, he says to such ones as that, to Christians, cleanse yourselves. In middle of verse 21, and if you do this, then you will be a vessel for honorable use. Then you will be set apart as holy. I thought I already was set apart as holy. You didn't just say that? You are. In Christ, set apart in your position once and for all. But what he's talking to Christians about now is our condition, our daily moment by moment. Where, where are you here and now? Set apart or not? He's calling his people to walk in holiness, to set, up, set themselves apart, to wipe themselves clean from the pollution of sin, which is going to involve two things. And notice, this is, this is more about the need to do it rather than the how to do it, but I need to mention just a little bit about the how. Think back to Colossians chapter 3. Jot that down if you need to. Colossians 3 puts two things in front of us. How do I cleanse myself from sin? Colossians 3 says, first and foremost, set your mind on things above. Set your mind on Christ. Set your mind on where your life actually is. Set your mind on him and his hope and his promises. And then it says, secondly, we're going to have to make decisions with our wills. And we're going to have to say no. I'm going to have to say no to Instagram. We knew some, some folks a long, long time ago who jokingly confessed to us that when they were dating, they used to pray, pray, pray for purity and then drive off into a dark place and climb into the back seat. And they laughed at that because they realized later, that's ridiculous. I have to make choices. We have to make choices with our wills to say no to sin. To cleanse ourselves from ungodliness. To carefully say, that would pollute me so I won't touch it. We have to. But if that's all that I said here, it would be tremendously misleading because the first point I have to come back to now, the first and foremost, the greatest point is set your eyes, set your mind, set your heart on things above. Because that's, that vision of God is what actually changes us and renews us and gives us life inside, but then gives us power, gives us his power to say no and to make those choices. So I'm not saying one or the other. I'm trying to say them in the, in the right order. Colossians 3 starts with set your mind on things above and then says put off sin. Not the other way around. Heart and eyes on Christ and hoping in his promises and then we have to make decisions and say no. And the one who carefully cleanses him or herself from sin, that's the one that's useful to the Lord. That's the way it is. Personal holiness matters. Old Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane said, he was a pastor, and he said, my people's greatest need for me, 
is my personal holiness. Not my teaching, not my preaching, not my skill. What my people's greatest need for me is, is my personal holiness. And each one of us can say that about those that we might minister to, those we might touch and influence, their greatest need for me is my personal holiness. Because they need to see Christ in me. And because that's the way that the conduit of God's power is open to flow through me. I don't actually do anything in other people. God does. And so what we each need to be, if we're going to be a minister, we need, need to be is we need to be an open conduit that through us to others, God and his power, his spirit might flow through us to others. And the way to shut that off most quickly is to cling to sin and grieve the spirit and drive him away. Ministers that God uses, those that are useful in his hand and then useful to other people, are those who carefully set themselves apart from the pollution of sin, cleanse themselves from that which is dishonorable. He's concerned about who we are as people, our character. That's the first point. Second thing. God's ministers must have a gracious demeanor, not a contentious one. God's ministers must have a gracious demeanor, not a contentious one. So if we're coming out of verse 21, we, we see that we want to be useful to God and, and ready for every good work. And for that, then, he gives us two commands in verse 22. Well, flee and pursue, and they're paired you see that flee one thing, pursue another. So you've got kind of this, this, this duality going on here. That's helpful for understanding what he means by flee youthful passions. He does not mean flee sexual temptation or sexual sin. Some, some have taught that from this verse. That's a good idea, of course. It's not what he's talking about here. Nothing else in the verse, nothing else in the following verses goes in that direction. We can understand youthful passions better if we, if we notice this contrast here. We'll come back to what he means by youthful passions and we'll, we'll understand it by looking ahead. What are we to run towards? We'll move towards, run after, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. A chain of four words, there are four concepts. Righteousness. Right acting before God. Seeking to please God, seeking to obey him. What, what, does, what does God call me to? What does God require? Then that's what I'm after. That's what I'm in pursuit of. It's pretty broad, pretty general. Appropriately, it's first. It tells me that I'm supposed to be pursuing God's agenda, not my own. And secondly then, faith. So not a righteousness that comes from my own works. A righteousness with faith. A righteousness that says... I see God, I see God's requirements, and I also see God's promises and God's character, and I trust him. There's always a tension for us when we look at righteousness. We see, here's what God's laid out in front of me. It's going to cost me, I don't know. And along comes his character and his promises where he says, but you can trust me, I'm good, I've got you. So a righteousness that's built on faith 
That's where to pursue a righteousness and a faith that works itself out as, how does faith work itself out? Paul says this all the time. If we notice throughout this letter and, the, and First Timothy before it, all the time he ties together faith and love. Faith and love paired all the time because someone who sees what God requires and someone who sees who God is and someone who trusts him, what that person's like, you've experienced this before, what that person's like is a person who says, I lay out then myself for others. That's what God calls me to. And I can trust him to cover any loss I might face. Righteousness, faith, and love. And what that then produces between people and in a person is peace. You see the chain there. Pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace. Along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Along with the people of God. Particularly in fellowship with Christians. Not to mention the rest of the world. So that's the, the one side of, of the equation. You see the contrast then. What, what he's getting at, the, the youthful passions that he's concerned about would be the opposite of that. The negative opposite of it. Someone who pursues his own agenda and is proud and self-reliant. Harsh, demanding, contentious, not peaceful. Not loving. Someone who believes that I need to massage situations and make my own goals work out rather than trusting myself to the Lord. So what he's concerned about here, if you put it in a word, is, is zeal. A little bit more broadly, zeal that's off target. Zeal that's self-focused and contentious. which is something youthful people sometimes struggle with. Everything is important and everything must be right now and I'm going to push it and make it so rather than leaving it to God. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace. And to elaborate on a little bit further in verse 23, Steer clear of foolish and ignorant controversies because you know it leads to quarreling. And what are we to be instead then? Kind. Not allowing everything. No, teaching also, teaching the truth. Gentle. Not failing to point out mistake, correcting. Gently. This is all about demeanor. It's all about demeanor. All about who we are in here. A gentle and gracious and kind and loving and peaceable servant of the Lord. This is what the Lord's servant is to be like. That's what it says right there in the verse. For verse 24, the Lord's servant is like this. The Lord's servant is like this. The Lord's servant is like that. Who am I talking about? Who are we talking about? It's no wonder that he lays out this and says, this is what you have to be like if you want to be a useful servant of mine because that's what my servant, Jesus, is like. 
And if, if we would want to be, I hope we do, if we would want to be his representatives stepping into the world, speaking his message about him on his behalf, we would have to represent him well. We'd have to tell the truth with our lives, with our demeanor, not just with our words. These things have to go together because this is what Jesus the servant was like and this is what's at the core of his message. The, the message that we are delivering from God to other people, the, the gospel, the good news that we're trying to minister as gospel ministers is a message of kindness and gentleness and loving peace with God that produces righteousness in faith. It's all about what the servant is like and what the message itself is like. And to try to communicate, here's a God who is gracious and here's a God who is gentle and humble with you. Here is a God who, like a lamb, was silent as he went to slaughter on your behalf to create righteousness, not demand it from you, and to create lovingly to create in you a faithful peace. I want to speak that angry and contentious and driving and bitter. It does not work. It does not work. I once have had an experience talking with somebody who actually said to me, I agree with what you're saying, but I cannot agree with you because I cannot stand your attitude. <laughs> Which I thought is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. Don't you just hear the truth and believe it? But in her mind, no. I cannot hear the truth and believe it because I can't hear the truth over you. Your life is shouting at me. There's a message there that I, I guess I probably do sort of agree with, but I cannot go along with because it is so offensive in demeanor. In demeanor. We can't tell the truth about a Savior who is gracious, who comes lowly and meek, who comes in love to offer life. We can't tell the truth about that contentiously, hostile, combative, and angry. It just does not fit. We want to be useful to the master. We want to be used of him to do the most honorable of work, to lead people into saving faith in Christ, to lead them to life. It is not that we don't care at all, that he doesn't care at all about content. It, he mentions teaching and he mentions correction, but over and over and over again, a little bit of a broken record here, gentle, gracious, Gracious, gentle, clear, and gracious. That's what he's looking for in us. That's how he was with us. And how he wants us to be with others. And there's another really helpful element to this passage. It kind of, if we understand it, kind of tells us 
And that's enough. The third point. Ministers that God uses speak the truth in theologically informed hope. Ministers that God uses speak the truth in theologically informed hope. So in verse 25, he's talking about how we are to speak the truth, we are to teach it, even correct error, which implies there may be some disagreement in our conversations. Not disagreeable, but disagreement. Not to be mean-spirited, but we are to correct gently. Well, that's a, it comes from all that we've said before, but it also comes from what he's about to say. The rest of verse 25 and verse 26. There's a theological reason here which I'm going to touch on, but understand that the theology here is kind of like we could go deep real quickly. I'm going to touch on it here and make something clear without preaching a whole other sermon on this. We correct with gentleness with something really, really, really important in the back of our minds that God may perhaps... Look closely at the words there. God may perhaps, there's no guarantee here. We don't force this to be. But God may perhaps, according to his wisdom, he's God. He's God. He may perhaps grant, that is, give our opponents, those that we were just correcting, those which which we may be in in opposition to and in conversation with, those that we are to be gentle and kind towards, living in love, at peace with, he may perhaps grant to them repentance. What's repentance? We often think of it as a changing of our behaviors. There's something before that. Certainly you can use that word. The word basically at its root just means to turn. So you can use it to describe turning of behaviors. But before that, spiritually speaking, we need to think about this. Repentance is a turning or a changing of mind such that you have a different mental stance. Not just, that all makes sense and I know I should have a different mental stance. But I actually have a different mental stance. I see it differently. So think about this, for instance, with music, tastes of music. Think of a style of music you don't like at all. Probably country. Maybe not. (laughs) Maybe classical music came to your mind. Maybe rap, mariachi music, 1970s country came to my mind. (laughs) I can handle some modern country because it's not really country. 1970s country. Whatever it is for you. You know other people like it, right? 
and you probably know somebody who does, and you've probably heard them say what it is they like about it or who, which particular artists they like, and they elaborate on it and say it's because it tells a story and it's et cetera, et cetera. And they explain it to you and you've listened to it, but nope, nope, not me. Well, that's how your opponent sees Jesus, the, the true Jesus. Now, we can find all kinds of people who actually love Jesus, think he's awesome, and then when you begin to talk to him, it's like, that's not the Jesus of the Bible, actually. That's another Jesus. That's how your opponent sees the Jesus of the Bible. They hear about sin, guilt, Jesus, cross, forgiveness, life, grace, mercy, love, and they say, nope. I understand all those words, maybe. I understand the concepts you're explaining, maybe. It's good for you, maybe. But nope, not for me. In my mind, it's ridiculous or offensive, bigoted, intolerant, a waste of time, not interested. What that person needs is repentance. That person needs a change of mind akin to you waking up tomorrow loving 1970s country music. Not knowing that other people do, not knowing why they do, actually enjoying it and being moved to go search it up on some sort of device and, and play songs and listen to Merle Haggard or whoever for fun. Because you now, for some reason or another, something changed in you and you actually see it differently, pleasurably. There's delight in it for you. It's, it's good and right and you can't wait for more of it. Something like that is what must happen in the mind, in the inner person of the person that you are in dialogue with. They need to have a change of mind about Jesus. So when they hear all those words and have explained to them who the biblical Jesus is and what the biblical good news is, they say, not any longer, nope, not for me, but they say, oh, yes. There's me, there's my need, and there's the answer. Beautiful and sweet and desirable. Where can I get that and how can I get more of it? And where, how does that come to a person? I talk them into it. When they won't listen, I argue them into it. And I drive it home and I explain all the details. Nope. What does the verse say? They need repentance. They need that change of mind. And where does it come from? God may perhaps grant that. It is a gift from God. If and when he chooses to give it, nobody forces him. Not even the person, him or herself. 
God gives it. And our hope is that he may grant it because if he does, then their eyes will come open and as the verse continues, leading to a knowledge of the truth, then they will see it all differently. They'll hear the same English words and say, oh, I get it. I see. Yes. The gift of repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Put it another way, coming out of the prison that Satan has locked them in. Verse 26, the last verse, which I reckon sounds strange to many people because what you're saying is that if you're not a Christian, what you're saying about me or what you're saying to me is that I'm actually, it says, I'm ensnared, I'm, I'm captured by the devil. That's what it says. I'll read the verse again. And they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So the verse says, everybody, shocking as this sounds, everybody who's not a Christian is ensnared by the devil himself. The Bible calls him the ruler of this world. Now, most of the time, almost all the time, he stays way, 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 way back in the shadows, lest he get us freaked out and get us thinking. He wants that kept, kept quiet so that we think we're masters of our own destinies, but we're not. Taken captive by him to do his will. And what has to happen is that somebody has to come and raid the strong man's house and set people free. And Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, that's me, that's what I do. I break in, I set people free. That's our hope. He's using means, he's going to use words, he's going to use the words of our lips and the words of our lives as we say, here's one who is gracious and here's one who is kind. Here's not an oppressor and a destructor, a killer like Satan who's taken you captive to do his will. Here's one who would set you free to live, to be really truly human. When we say that with our words, when we say it with our lives, he'll use those means, but it won't make any sense unless he first gives repentance. So there's no point in trying to fight against the hostages. Our enemy is the hostage taker. And that's a fight that God wages. God sets people free. We are called to be kind and gentle and gracious, to love, to speak the truth for sure, but to speak the truth in love, in hopes and in prayer that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. I can't argue them into that, but God may grant it. That he, they may then escape the snare of the devil. I can't set them free, but God may do it. And they be set free from doing his will. I, I can't change that, but God can. So we pray and deal gently and patiently with others, trusting that God will use our words and our witnessing lives to light the way out of the dungeon when and if and as he chooses to give repentance, to change minds, to open eyes, and to set captives free. Patient, Gracious, 
kind, loving, prayerful witness of the truth for sure, skillfully done for sure, but demeanor is critical. That's our calling. And God is our hope, not our persuasiveness. The God who is omnipotent, wise, who knows who are his, who chases them down and sets them free. That's our God. That's our hope. Towards that end, let me pray. Father, we are standing right on, I mean, as we finish this point, we are standing right on the edge of, of a whole bunch of deep theology that is profound and sweet. But would you also make it clear enough and compelling enough and encouraging enough right now to move us to worship? Thank you. I reason back through that and I say the only reason that I see is because you opened my eyes and granted me repentance. Thank you. The fact that you grant repentance means that we don't have to fight. We don't have to contend. We can just speak the truth in love and trust you. That is relieving. Thank you. Will you cause us to rest in these things and, and to boldly walk into them to actually speak the truth, to actually love, actually interact with people and to be gracious about it. Move us to action. Move us to walking into these truths, Lord, please. And through it all, would you make us useful tools in your hand? We, we want to be useful to you, the Master, we want to be able to take up any good work you would put in front of us and to do it in your power for your glory. So please give us resolve to follow you and to steer clear of sin that would pollute us. We need you for this. We trust this to you. And say thank you for the promise that you build your church. Thanks for letting us be a part of that, Lord. You're good and you're kind. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.